Welcome to Center Ice. Today is the 1st of February. Very excited to bring you another episode. We've got a lot of different topics today, and I've got Matt here as always. Thanks again for the listens on the last episode. We do appreciate it. So we thought we would try something fun today, and we thought we would talk about rebuilds of teams that are trying to contend and not just talk about them, but rank them. So let's get right into it. Shall we, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because, as you know, Matt, quite often on our show, we like to talk about teams that are rebuilding. We like to talk about where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, but we've never really gone into an in-depth conversation about all these teams that are... I, I think we need to make a quick distinction here, though, Mac, because there are teams that are quote-unquote rebuilding, like Buffalo or Buffalo... <laughs> Yeah, Buffalo is really bad. Or Arizona. Teams like that, which are just bottom feeders that aren't doing anything. And they aren't really making a push to get into that playoff contention. So we've been able to narrow down our list to seven teams here. Now, this is in no particular order just yet. But the seven teams we've got here are the Rangers, the Red Wings, the Kings, the Ducks, the Senators, the Blue Jackets, and the Devils. And we will get right into it. So I guess we should... uh, Start at the bottom and work our way up, shall we, Mac? Yeah. All right. You want to start first or do you want me to go ahead? Oh, I'll go ahead first. Now, at the bottom of my list here, Mac, I'm curious to know whether you have them at the bottom of your list too. We'll find out in a minute. But I have the New Jersey Devils at my bottom. And I did have some debate whether I should put them there because there are things I do like about the New Jersey Devils, Mac. Of course, you know, they've got an okay young core, but remember this rebuild for the devil started a few years ago and it really hasn't bared any fruit yet and it's not that they haven't had some good players you know jack hughes is having a really good year at 26 points and brat is killing it he's got 40 points in 41 games so he is going at a point per game pace or just under it at the moment so it's not like they've had bad draft luck here mac it's just they haven't been able to really build a core around these guys yet. And goaltending is another thing that you look at and they really haven't quite figured it out yet. You look at the goaltending this year, Mac, they've had four goalies start for them. And I'll just rattle off the names here. Jonathan Bernier, a 306 goals against average, 902 save percentage. That's, that's not horrible, but it's not the top tier goaltending. You need to take your rebuild to the next step. Blackwood's had a rough year. 894 save percentage and a 329 goals against average. And Schmidt, who's only started a few games to be fair, Mac, he's got a five goals against average and an 830 save percentage. And I haven't even gone into the defense here, Mac, because it really hasn't been stellar. You know, PK Zuban is still putting in, I'd say, a decent amount of minutes for someone who really shouldn't be, especially with where he's at in it at this stage in his career. So the Devils, although I do like some of the key pieces that they have, they just haven't made that next step up into getting peace, getting some veterans, getting some more guys later in the draft to fill out this roster and really make a step forward. So I think they're still making progress, but they, you know, they've got a ways to go yet. So who do you have at last? Yeah, I think I was I was slipping back and forth between the Devils and the Blue Jackets, but ultimately I've got the Blue Jackets there. The Devils have more big pieces right now, which I do like. 
And even though we do have issues with the devil's rebuild or retool or whatever you want to call it, it's still in a better position than Columbus's is in my opinion. But yeah, I've got Columbus at number seven. And to be fair, I do like what they've done since they brought in the new coach. And I like the kind of up-tempo, fast style they play. It's much different than the Columbus Blue Jackets we're used to seeing under a certain head coach named John Tortorella. But it's nice to see because they're kind of letting the skill play and and they're giving players opportunities. You look at Chinnikov, he's having a nice debut as a rookie. He continues to impress me, at least. you got Cole Sillinger. You've got a number of good pieces there. You've got two good goaltenders. So they definitely have some pieces in Columbus, but they still have a ways to go. They're still a very young team, and that's okay. I just think New Jersey's pieces are a little bit better, and I trust them a little more. So I have New Jersey just ahead of them. Yeah, I think you make some good points there. Speaking of Columbus, they ended up, sixth on my list so you and I basically had the two teams at the bottom just in different places when it came to ranking is I felt which team has been rebuilding for longer and at this point it's the Devils. remember the Blue Jackets even though that was under old coach John Tortorella they were decent not too long ago and yeah they have pretty much blown it up since then but they're just starting on their rebuild so I didn't want to be too too harsh on them I want to see how they draft this year I want to see how that goes over the next year, year and a bit. And then I can probably get a clear picture on how they're going with this rebuild, but I didn't want to judge them too harshly just yet. So that's why I gave them the slight edge and they've been playing the better hockey as of late. And I think that does factor into it a bit as well. Yeah. It's a little recency bias and I've tried to avoid that on my rankings, but it does factor in a little bit here. So speaking of teams that, six and seven. Why do you have the devils at six? Well, I mean, it's like I mentioned, I just, I feel like they do have some better pieces than Columbus. They have Dougie Hamilton. They have Mackenzie Blackwood. Yeah. He's not having a great year, uh, but it's, it's hard for us to be critical when, you know, COVID has affected so much in hockey players. And I wonder if he's doing all right, aside from hockey right now, we really don't know, but you know, the devils have certainly not been very good this season and continue to be towards the bottom of the standings. I just think that when they do get it right, there's a real opportunity here for this team to turn it around fairly quickly. But at the same time, they have to decide, okay, are we going to continue to rebuild or are we going to start to take a step towards contention? And they kind of did a little bit of both in the summer when they decided, okay, let's bring in Jonathan Bernier. And okay, let's bring in Dougie Hamilton, but you didn't really do much else. And you left a defense that is below average and really only has one good defenseman on it to, you know, protect leads. And you're relying, as you mentioned, on PK Subban to be a top four, which I don't think he is. He's just not. So they definitely need to upgrade certain areas of the team, but you have Jack Hughes, you have Dougie Hamilton. You mentioned Jesper Bratz, good player. I really like Dawson Mercer. I think he's a fine rookie. You have Sharon Govich. You have some nice pieces. So I still like what they're doing, but it is concerning to see them near the bottom of the standings again this year. Yeah. I think you make some great points here. Let's move on up the list. And I'm not going to, I don't think we need to touch on this next team too much, assuming we have them in the same place, which I think we do. And at number five, we have the Ottawa Senate, 
At least I have the Ottawa Senators. Do you? I do. Oh, well, there we go. We do have the Ottawa Senators at five. And I think it's it's important to clarify, just because a team is low or lower on the, the list doesn't mean we aren't impressed with some of the aspects of this rebuild. It's just thing compared to some other teams doing rebuilds, the Sens aren't quite there yet. Let, let's quickly touch on some positives here. Of course, guys like Drake Batherson, Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris, Thomas Shabbat, Tim Stutzel, so on and so forth. The Sens have done a really good job drafting young players. We've mentioned this many, many times before on the show, almost on a bi-weekly basis here. And I don't want to get too much into it there, but let's touch on why the Senators are at five, Mac. Because I think if, if you look purely at the guys that they've draft and, drafted and where they rank on the top 100 prospects and rookies and all the sorts of lists like that, you'd expect a team like Ottawa to be way higher on this list. But I'm, and I know we've mentioned this before, Mac, but it's bears worth repeating here that Ottawa just doesn't have the key veterans that are good, that can log some tough minutes, that can fill out an important spot on the roster. Because right now, this team is all young players. I think the uh, oldest guy on the roster is Tyler Ennis or Adam Gaudet or someone, maybe Austin Watson. I have to look up that another time, Mac. But suffice to say, this is a very young and very inexperienced roster and we've seen that a lot this year they are missing some key pieces they aren't quite there and i think you and i probably have a pretty similar view here mac the sense this is year five of missing the playoffs assuming that they miss the playoffs and i think that's a fair assumption so year four of the rebuild and you look at other teams that have had successful rebuilds and they're up on the list they rebuilt they started rebuilding or closer to now than when the senators did so, you know, I think patience is starting to wear thin in Ottawa. And that's partially why we've moved them down in the list, because this is the point where you'd expect to see results. Other teams that rebuilt closer to now are up higher on the list. And the Sens just need to make that next step, and they haven't done it yet. Yeah, that's, I mean, you're pretty well covered it. And when we think about these teams... Ottawa and New Jersey are not that dissimilar here. I mean, these are two teams that have been in extended rebuilds for over five years now and still haven't made the playoffs. And you just wonder when things are going to start to click for them because it's not that they don't have the young talent. It's that the management and coaching is is not maybe where it should be. And the roster that they're putting on the ice is not where it should be for a team that is trying to make that leap into the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, at least in New Jersey with Lindy Ruff, that was kind of an interesting hire when they decided to bring him in. And, you know, Senators fans have their uh, opinions on on their coach as well. So, yeah, I think those two teams are definitely – they definitely have hope and they definitely have stars in the future and now. But there are still issues there for them to get over that hump and – get near these sort of elite tier teams, as I would call them. Absolutely. And I think that the Sens so close yet so far. And now number four, Mac, you may think this feels like a little low for this team. And we've gushed about them a fair bit as well on this podcast as well, Mac. And at four, I have the Anaheim Ducks. And but before people start saying, oh, Anaheim, 
they've been so much better. I'll get into my reasoning a little later as we move on up the list. But let me talk about the positives going on in Anaheim again, Matt, because I love talking about Anaheim. They've had a really good rebuild. You and I uh, have mentioned before that they need a little more depth. They need a little more uh, veteran presence. But this is still a really good team. And this is a team that I am very confident now will make the playoffs. Because the last time we talked about them was early to mid-December. And they were doing well at the time, Mac. But we weren't quite sure whether they were good enough to make the playoffs. Well, they've continued to stay consistent here, Mac. And I feel quite confident in saying that they'll probably make the playoffs, assuming nothing catastrophic happens. But let's go into the roster here. Of course, got to talk about Trevor Zegras here, Mac, who as of late has been lighting it up. Of course, highlight reel after highlight reel goal. He's been upsetting our favorite coach in John Tortorella, <laughs> which, <laughs> which has been great. Troy Terry's killing it this year, Mac. He's got 41 points, 43 games. It's looking really good. Ryan Getzloff has had a resurgence. You and I have talked about that before. Kevin Shattenkirk looking like a steal on defense there, Mac. 26 points in 48 games, well being very solid defensively. And I haven't even gone through the whole list here, Mac. You've got guys like Lundstrom, Raquel, Silverberg, Steele. I could go on and on here, Mac. This is a team that where everyone on every line is playing for one another. They're rolling, I wouldn't say complete four lines, but a solid four lines. And you look at the top six that they've been rolling out night in and night out. It's been very good. They're tied with Anaheim. Sorry, with Vegas in terms of points right now in the Pacific Division as of this recording. They do have three more games played, but that is very impressive for a team that I would say didn't have a whole lot of expectations at the start of the year. And I got to mention John Gibson and Anthony Stolarz, who are both having really good seasons, Mac. They've been playing them in a bit of a uh, tandem, and it's been looking really good. Yeah, everything you said about the Ducks is correct. And I think the point to emphasize here is it's not just Seagrass, Drysdale, Gibson, Lindholm. There's so many good young players here, and there's more on the way. And you touched on a lot of them. But I also think it's worth mentioning that with regards to Lindholm, I think he's really starting to come into his own. He's had some struggles the last few years. But to me, this is a defenseman that has the talent level close to a Victor Hedman. And, you know, how many young defensemen can you say have that talent level? Not many. I think they have something really special in him, and I hope to see him continue to develop in the future. And I really like Jamie Drysdale. Really impressed with him. You mentioned Zegris. But I just like that not only do they have good young players, but they have other good young players that are still coming up and still making their way. We haven't even mentioned some of the draft picks that are playing down in juniors and in other leagues. To me, this is a well-managed team and also a well-coached team under Dallas Akins. I think he's done a really good job considering how young this team is, and you wouldn't expect them to be a stalwart defensively, but they try and they hold their own, and some periods are worse than others. And I think the biggest thing for me is they're fun to watch. They're entertaining. They're one of those teams that I like to make time for. So really excited to see what the Ducks do going forward. The goaltending is not a problem in Anaheim right now. I do think you can shore up that defense a little more and this team will be golden. But having knowing that you've got two reliable goaltenders is such an important thing. You and I have talked about this time and time again, and it still holds true. 
Now at number four, who do you have, Mac? No, I'm with you on the Ducks. We um, had the the same one. It'll be interesting to see if we have our three, two, one the same. But let's get into number three then. Yeah, who do you have at three, Mac? I have Steve Eiserman's Red Wings at number three. Ooh, well, this is where we differ a little bit, Mac. I have Detroit at number two. So let's jump into Detroit. Why do you have Detroit at three? And then I'll get into my reasons why I have Detroit at two. I think the biggest reason I have them there is that they're very close to making that jump to that next tier, but they're not quite there yet because when you look at teams like the Rangers and the Kings, I would call those rebuilds just kind of as good as they can be. They have all these great young players. They have some veterans there. They're well-managed. They make smart decisions. They've got elite goaltending especially with Shish Durkin and the Red Wings. While they do have a goaltender there now in the who's quite good. He's probably not that elite level yet. And I think in a year's time, depending on what Steve Eiserman does at the trade deadline and in the summer, they could vault their way towards the top of that conversation because we know how smart Stevie Eiserman is with his moves and his draft picks. So it's so hard to put anyone above those top two teams I mentioned because they're just on another level. Is how I would put it. I think you bring up some really good points here, Mac. Although the way I looked at it, Mac, and you and I might have differed a little bit here, is less on what they're doing now and more how the rebuild has gotten them here and where it's going. And to me, the way I, the big factor for me with Detroit, Mac, is I absolutely agree with you that LA and the Rangers are in a really, really good shape. They're far and away the two best teams on this list. But the way I look at it, Mac, is look at where Detroit was a couple of seasons ago. They hardly could crack 15 wins. They were bottom feeders. And that's only a year and a half to two years ago. And now you look at them, they have a 500 record. They're fifth in the Atlantic. And this is a team on the rise. You mentioned Steve Yeiserman. And I think a big factor in this is the Steve Yeiserman effect. If it were any other GM, I don't know if I'd put him as high as I did here, Mac, because I really believe Steve Yeiserman's record speaks for itself. You mentioned Nevdelkovich. I mean, it's a fabulous move there. The Anthony Mantha trade. And I think he's only just getting started, Mac. He's really started to shore up this Red Wings roster. He's got a lot of young talent that he's drafted. You know how good he is as a scout. And I think that Detroit is, as you mentioned, a team that if Yajman continues to make the right moves, he will absolutely find himself at the top of this list. So that's mostly why I put Detroit at two. And I, it might be a bit of a controversial opinion, Mac, but I stand by it. I think that Detroit, in terms of potential, in terms of management, and in terms of what they can do, that's why I have them at two. And the other reason why, and I think this is one of the other key reasons, is to me, LA and the Rangers are pretty much done their rebuilds. Where Detroit is started, starting to wrap up their rebuild. They're getting the pieces they need and they're making the moves. So that's why I have Detroit. It's sort of a tentative number two, if you know what I mean. Like I have them at two based on what I know Yeiserman can do and based on the talent that they have on their roster and is working their way through the system. Let's get into the New York Rangers and LA Kings. I've got the Rangers at two. And as I mentioned, they're just 
a little bit farther ahead of the Red Wings in their rebuild, mostly because you've got players like Adam Fox, who's a star. You've got an elite goaltender in Igor Shosturkin. I mean, I don't think people really appreciate how good this guy is at a young age. He is tremendous. Plus, you've got veteran pieces like I mentioned in Panarin, Truba, Zibanejad. You also have Capo Caco, Lafreniere, Zach Jones. You have Keandre Miller. You have a lot of good pieces in that organization. Obviously, they're they're taking a good step forward this year. Gerard Gallant's trying to get them to play better defense, and they haven't really played great defense, to be honest, but Shesterkin has carried them this year. And then I have the LA Kings at one because I just feel like their rebuild is much more balanced they're not in trouble cap-wise. So I've got LA at number one. At number three, I had the New York Rangers. I, I will say this though, Mac, if we were basing this ranking entirely on luck, the Rangers would be far away number one because you had two top draft picks. You had Adam Fox fall onto your lap out of Calgary. And then you've got a really, really good goaltender. Now, the goaltending, I think, is less on luck and more on really good scouting from the Rangers. They just have a knack of finding those European goaltending prospects that no one else thinks of, but thinks to look at. And they go on and become an elite level goalie. So the Rangers, to me, the, the reason why I have them a little lower is the aforementioned defense, Mac. This is still a this is still a bit of a raw team. This is a team that has a lot of offensive firepower. They've got great goaltending. They just need a little more defense. And I'd expect to see the Rangers make some move for some defense at the trade deadline. This is a team that could just use a few more pieces. I think that the Rangers are in a really good spot here, that they're a team that is going to torch the Metropolitan Division with the Carolina Hurricanes for years to come. Well, the good news is we have the same team at number one, don't we? Yes, we do. (laughs) <laughs> and I think it's a well-deserved number one. I think it's a very well-deserved number one. You and I have gushed about them all season, and there's a good reason why we have. And that is the LA Kings. Oh, where do we start with the LA Kings, Matthew? Because there's so much to like here. I think you have to start with the coaching and the job that Todd McClellan has done in turning a team with all this offensive firepower into a very good defensive team with very good goaltending. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, whether you have Jonathan Quick between the pipes, who's having a nice year, or Cal Peterson, who I'm a huge fan of. I think he's a very good young goaltender that doesn't get enough love around the NHL. You have a balanced lineup. You have players like Quentin Byfield starting to make their way. He scored his first goal recently. Congratulations to him. You have Rasmus Kapari. You have Alex Turcotte. So many good players in your organization. Obviously, you still have those veterans around you like Drew Doughty and Ange Kopitar, medium to young players like Adrian Kempe. But like I said, the thing that most impresses me about this team is the way they've been built. They haven't sacrificed anything in this rebuild. They've got forward prospects. They have good young defensemen and they have goaltenders. So a job really well done by Rob Blake and company. The challenge here with the Kings, and this is the challenge for any team that's in a rebuild like this, is when do you decide, okay, it's time to really go for it? Or do you say to yourself, we've got a really good core here and we want to see what they can do by adding some complementary pieces, but largely keeping it the same. It'll be fascinating and very interesting to see what happens. See, if I were Rob Blake, Mac, 
I would take the latter approach because what they've got right now is pretty darn good. It's not quite at the point where I'd say they're contend contenders, but they're pretty close. And I think a few complementary pieces to go along with the good mix of vets and young talent that they've got would go a long way. I, I will say this about the Kings, though, Mac. If you're a team that's going into a rebuild, I feel like the Kings are pretty much the model for the modern rebuild at this point, wouldn't you say? Because what they've done is they've got pretty much everything you and I are looking for, Mac. You've got the young, raw talent that can score a lot of goals and make a lot of plays. You've got the good veterans that can still play and still make an impact. Case in point, Anze kopachari has got 41 points this year, Mac. And you've got some vets that will also play on defense and eat up a lot of minutes, teach the young guys how to play defense. And I, I got to, as you said, Todd McClellan deserves a lot of credit, but having a guy like Drew Doughty, who's been to the Stanley Cup, he's won a couple cups. He's a really, really good player. He's not what he once was, but he knows how to win in the league. He knows how to play good defense. That rubs off on your younger players. You know what I love about the Kings and their goaltending, Mac? Tandem. You and I always like talking about the tandem, about having two solid goaltenders that you can rely on so you don't have to play one into the ground. That's what they're doing in LA. They've got pretty much everything you and I always gush about and complain about teams not doing. So to me, the LA Kings are the model rebuild for the modern NHL. You extended a guy like Matt Roy, and basically you continued with the plan of letting these young players play building that defensive system under McClellan and the results have been there. And, and even a guy like Trevor Moore, he just had a fabulous month. I think he had 15 points in the month, which is always a nice surprise when you get performances like that. But let's uh, shift over from the rebuilds to, we were going to talk with the Flyers today, but uh, I don't really want to. So let's, <laughs> let's go to the Dallas Stars top line of uh, Rope Hans, Joe Pavelski and Jason Robertson. Yeah, I'd say one of the best top lines in the league, Mac. I, I imagine you would agree with me on that. The stats speak for themselves. All three are having really good years. And I, I got to say this, Mac. You got to enjoy it while it lasts because there's a pretty good chance that Joe Pavelski is going to find himself on a new team at the end of February. 100%. He's in a contract year and he wants to win a cup. Don't mistake it. And he tried to do that in Dallas and it didn't work. To me, he's a huge part of that line. But let's quickly talk about this line and why it's so good. And it's kind of one of those lines that coaches throw the lines into the blender. And when they find something and it clicks, it clicks. <laughs> <laughs> this line has been good since last year. I think the reason it's good is because you kind of have three players that are different, but all very good players. Yeah. I think you, that's a great analogy for this line, Mac. Now, let's talk about Joe Pavelski first, because you know, he's got the most experience. He's a bit of an outlier on this line, Mac. He's the oldest by far. He's the complementary piece to the younger Hinson Robertson. And he's physical too. He provides much needed physicality on that line. I think people often forget that Joe Pavelski, he's not the most physical guy, but he can absolutely lay out the body if he needs to. And he's a playmaker. He's a goal scorer. He sets up Robertson and Hintz quite a lot. He's got 29 assists this year. And I imagine a good chunk of those are assisting on goals to one of those two. He is the anchor, in my opinion, Mac. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, what makes this line unique is you have Pavelski, like you mentioned, who's kind of the engine of the line. You have Robertson, who was a top contender for Calder, and he is a star. 
I mean, this this kid is amazing. He has 40 points on the season. And then you have a guy like Rope Hintz, who is a big player. He's about 6'3", 220, who can skate and contribute on both ends. He has 37 points. So you kind of have a little bit of everything. Joe Pavelski is an excellent two-way player. You mentioned playmaker. Just a player that drives the play at both ends of the ice. And you have Robertson, very well-rounded young player. And Rope Hintz as well is trending in that direction. So, I mean, the biggest problem for the Stars is that if and when, it seems like it's a matter of when Pavelski goes, they don't really have any other good lines. They're basically a one-line team this year, and that is very concerning, to say the least. If you're a team that's in a contention window, you want to make a playoff push, you, you want to acquire a guy that can make an impact, I think Joe Pavelski fits all the check boxes for what you want in a guy who can perform and win in the playoffs. He's a proven commodity and you're going to have to pay a price for him. But I I think that he's worth every penny. All right. I'm going to throw you a line here with regards to Pavelski and think about a team that would be really smart to get him. Obviously Boston fits the bill very well, but what about the Pittsburgh Penguins? I mean, wouldn't he be a terrific fit in Pittsburgh in that top six? And it's funny you mentioned Pittsburgh because I was probably going to mention Pittsburgh in a moment because I was thinking, you know, teams that are really good that could use a guy like Pavelski and Pittsburgh, he fits the bill pretty much perfectly in Pittsburgh. They've got the assets in the cap to make a move for Pavelski. And especially in that tight metropolitan division, you got the caps right behind the Penguins and you they're right in the hunt for that top spot. Having a guy like Pavelski down the stretch for the final few weeks of the season could be the impact that they need. And you and I talked about Pittsburgh on our last episode and how they've been quite good this year, but they certainly could use an extra piece and Pavelski would fit that perfectly. Moving on to a little more rookie talk. We mentioned briefly Anton Lundell and how good he's been this year, but I also want to mention Tanner Janot. And these are two guys that belong in the Calder conversation. Lundell is a guy who is learning from one of the best two-way forwards in the game, and that's Barkov. And to me, I just continually be impressed by this guy and his development. He's relied on to play on the penalty kill, on the power play, even strength. He is just a very good player that makes players better around them. He recently had a five-assist game, and he's the first player since Matthew Barzell to do that. And to me, as I mentioned, there's no way – this team is giving up this player. He's too good and the future is so bright for him. So even if the Coyotes come calling and they say, we want this guy as part of a chicken package, I'll tell you what, the Florida Panthers will say, no, thank you. And Tanner Janot, not a rookie that gets mentioned a lot, but he's part of the herd line, as they call it, Yakov Trenin and Colton Sissons, which is a big physical line that really kind of identifies Nashville as a team. And he doesn't get power play time but he still has 13 goals and 26 points. And I mentioned the physicality. He's fourth in the league in hits. So that includes regular players and rookies, which is pretty impressive. Absolutely. It's going to be a very interesting Calder race, as it always is, Mac. And I think when it comes down to Calder, you got to keep Lundell and Zegris, Raymond, Sider. There's a lot of guys that could make a very good case for Caller and I think Janot is a great name to bring out, Mac, because as you mentioned, he hasn't been getting talked about a lot. And Nashville really hasn't been talked about a lot this year, Mac. But you look at the Predators 
as a team, it, it's a very fascinating situation. You were, you mentioned a sorrows to me before we started recording and the amount of shots he's faced this year. Wasn't it a hundred more than the next goalie Mac? Yeah. And he, he's just getting pelted with pucks every night. The thing to remember folks about these predators is this is not the same defensive stalwart predators that Barry Trotz coached under Shea Weber and Ryan Suter and players like that. They're not a great defensive team and they give up a lot of quality shots. And the fact that he still has a 927 save percentage and 2.36 goals against average. And I don't think I've seen him play a bad game in, I don't know, more than a year. You know, he is tremendous. And I just think he deserves more love as one of the best goalies in the league. And, and I think I can say that as a fact. I mean, I think he is. UC Saros has turned into the next great after Becca Renee. Absolutely. And he had some really uh, big shoes to fill. And I think he's done a really good job of doing that so far. And they absolutely need him. And I will say this, Mac, you know, despite how bad the defense really has been in Nashville, they still are having a pretty good season. They've had a pretty good last couple of weeks or so. They've got five wins and two overtime losses, and they've leapfrogged the Minnesota Wild to get into second in the Central Division. Now, they're only one point ahead of them, but Nashville is quietly having themselves a fairly decent season here, Mac. And if they can get, just like some other teams we've talked about today, Mac, if they can get a little more defense to stop peppering Saros with 50 shots a game and he can, and Saros can keep it up. And I think he will. This is a national team that I think could make some noise down the stretch. I don't know how deep they could go in the playoffs, but they've quietly had themselves a decent season despite the bad defense. They've been scoring goals. Saros has been making saves. They need a little more help on that back end. And I think this is a Nashville team that will compete in the Central if they can get Saros the help he desperately needs. I like Nashville's odds here. Yeah, and I think that help can come in the form of bringing in some more defensemen that are good defensively, but also maybe some defensive forwards to fill out that lineup and help bring that shots total down per game and give Saros a little bit more of a rest because, again, the reality is he plays 90% of the games. And you have to make sure that if you want to make a playoff run, as we've talked about before on this show, that he's rested enough and that he's not exhausted by the time the playoffs roll around. Absolutely. Uh, There's a reason why pretty much every time you and I talk about good goaltending, we always say you got to have a tandem. And I think Saros is a perfect example of that because with the amount of shots he's facing, it's not sustainable. Just look at Montreal and Carey Price. You know, he carried Montreal on his back last year and he's just, he doesn't, of course he had some uh, real issues and glad that he's been able to work those out in the best of his ability. But Carey Price, you know, he, he often looks quite tired out there because he's been hung out to drive year after year. And I mentioned Jonathan Quick and Medicine in the uh, Kings. That's a really good tandem there. They're, I think Quick is starting two games for every one and two out of three games. So, you know, it's a pretty fair split. And they're both getting pretty good amount of playing time and both are viable options for the Kings and having that goaltending depth is so important, especially in the playoffs, because 
there are times where you sure you'd love to have your starter go all the way through to the Stanley Cup final, but we just don't see that anymore. You don't see the Hasek runs or the Brodeur runs to the cup anymore. You got to have your starter in there for your, sorry, your backup in there for a game or two, at least. Yeah. In addition to that, we haven't really talked about this much, but I have so much respect for elite goaltenders in the NHL today because you think about all the skill that they face on the ice. The fact that every shot has a threat to be tipped to go off something there's just so much creativity. You know, you have a guy like Zegers trying to pull <laughs> off lacrosse moves. And to me, Saros, the thing that impresses me most about him is the consistency and the fact that he's able to stay in position while making those acrobatic desperation saves. You know, he's not flopping all over the place. This is a great positional goaltender that is at the most confident he's ever been in his career. And like I said, he's one of the best out there. I, I do think it goes underappreciated in today's game because there's so much offensive creativity, but the goaltenders are doing a really good job of keeping up with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other notes we wanted to touch on today? I don't think we have anything else we need to touch on unless you thought of something in the last moment here, Mac. No, I think that's everything for me. Excellent. Well, that does it for us for today. As always, you can... Find us wherever you get your podcasts and Center Ice, as always, is brought to you by the National Podcast Network. There's lots of really exciting games coming up. The Super Bowl is right around the corner. The Bengals and the Rams, that is very exciting. So lots of great stuff going on in the sports world without even mentioning the Olympics. Be sure to get some time to enjoy the game, guys. See you next time.